You get me every time with that. Do I? It's, yeah. it's what I enjoy doing. It's what I enjoy doing. <laughs> hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to Gritty Reboot, episode number 11. Yeah, we're talking about The Omen. Yes, today we'll be tackling the 1976 and 2006 version of these films. So I, I have to admit a funny thing sort of straight off the bat uh, with this movie, and, and that is this. I thought I had seen the 1976 version of The Omen. And it turns out that had never really happened. I had seen the remake when it came out in 2006, and I'd seen the sequels. Uh, probably probably the second one, uh, which also has a younger Damien, but he's nowhere near as young as he is in the first movie, obviously. It's the same actor. So I had never really seen Gregory Peck in the original film. I just kind of thought I had from catching clips on cable over the years. So this was a unique experience, actually getting to watch that movie for the first yeah, time. Yeah, it's a classic. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, it is. I, I wasn't enamored with the movie, but... Oh, uh, I love the movie. Really? I love The Omen. It's, um... Granted, I think it's a bit cheesy, but uh, once again, I'm picking it up a little bit later. But I, I enjoyed the remake to a small extent. Like, you know, I, I'd give it the most barely passable review when I saw it back in 2006. Matter of fact, I think I was I was actually reviewing movies then, and I think on our show I was the only one that gave it a positive mark. Mother, um, two girls, Will and Matt, they gave it a negative review. Looking back on that, though, I feel like that's a little bit flawed because I had not seen what what basically was the original classic film. So um, this was almost a unique and, and nice experience for me to go back and watch Richard Donner's classic. Yeah. So, The Omen was made in uh, 1976, a transitional period in Hollywood. Jaws had been released the year previous, and basically, it, 70s Hollywood didn't follow trends as sharply as modern Hollywood does, or even Hollywood over the last, like, 20 years, basically. Mm -hmm. So, if you got a movie that was successful, you weren't necessarily going to get copycat movies pumped out all the time. Uh, this movie is considered by some, at least when it was released to be, like, The Exorcist? Uh -huh. following in the mold of uh, that movie. And, you know, basically because it involves Satan in some way, shape, or form. Which wasn't always a, a typical or common antagonist in a horror movie. Right. Um, the, that was sort of... <laughs> it seems strange to think about, but The Exorcist sort of brought the devil as a bad guy back in popular culture. Something that seems so alien and foreign to us, correct? No kidding. Yeah, and, and this is one of those movies sort of in that ilk as well. This is a classier picture. Obviously. Yeah, absolutely. With Richard Donner at the head, you know, you're going to get a classier picture. Yeah, yeah. And this is one of the stronger horror films of the year. Like in 1976, uh, we, another great year for horror as well. And we'll cover another film uh, from this year pretty soon. But Brian De Palma's Carrie uh, mm -hmm. came out uh, very late in the year. This was an earlier release. And I think one of the things that's interesting about it is even though this would be a horror picture, which is always considered a lesser film. It got a huge grade-A actor as the lead, which really kicked the whole pre-production into high gear. And that's Gregory Peck. Yeah. This is a guy who doesn't normally do these kinds of movies. But, you know, before we really get into talking about everything about it, let, let's discuss what the film is entirely. For generations, the Thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth, position, and power. The perfect marriage of Ambassador Robert Thorne and his wife, Catherine, was fulfilled by the birth of their son, Damien. And then, when the child was five years old, something terrible happened. Yeah. So, this is a very simple tale of an ambassador again. Um, who is apparently adored by the media, uh, played by Gregory Peck, and his wife is pregnant. Starts right there. She's going into labor. Take her to the hospital. And Gregory Peck discovers that something terrible has happened. His child has died, and he has a one-time opportunity to basically switch children out and get a child that was born that day whose mother just died. Yeah, he doesn't have the heart to tell his wife that yeah, so she lost it. Immediately from, from his perspective, this is not some sort of evil act or him just taking a child that's not his. This is... The best of the best scenario possible. Yeah. This child's not going to have a parent. I can solve that problem, and my wife never has to know that our child died during childbirth. And so they accept this white little lie, and everything begins from there. And as we come to discover, uh, the young child Damien is the Antichrist, 
and this leads to uh, deaths, mayhem, and and all sorts of fun stuff, as we put it. Yeah. I, I think what I was surprised by, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, is how close these two movies are. And this is something that we talk about a lot, is especially when we talked about the Nightmare reboot, because they made a lot of changes in that movie from the original version to what they did in the reboot. And my complaint was, I mean, why not just use the original story if you weren't going to come up with anything more interesting? Right. And the remake of this film and the original movie have the same exact screenwriter. So they are nearly identical. It's not 100% one-to-one. It's not like Psycho, where that's like a shot-for-shot remake, or uh, Wreck. Wreck's a near shot-for-shot remake with Quarantine, the American version. Is that a reboot? Yeah, it's a, well, it's an American Eyes remake, so yeah, that's a reboot. But yeah, these two movies are incredibly similar. What do you what do you feel about the music? So the music the soundtrack. The music is the strongest element of the original film, in my opinion. The music by Jerry Goldsmith is a force of fucking nature. Absolutely is. It dominates every sequence that it's in. I mean, it, it's it's weird to think as we go back into the history of cinema, like when was the first time something was done? And there may be other examples of it being done, but this is what exposed sort of evil chanting or Gregorian chanting into a movie score. Yeah. And this movie has a whole, whole evil yeah, demon countless yeah exactly yeah anytime you ever hear that in a, in some sort of parody where they're aping that idea someone's chanting something ridiculous that's exactly what it's from this movie and I mean the score is the only place where the movie won an Oscar I do believe Jerry Goldsmith's only Academy Award it's his only one yeah it comes from this film and once you watch the movie you will completely understand that this movie just hits you with that score and the score just never really lets you go yeah it's very very well done it's very much a product of the 70s like the score would be considered a little much in the uh, in any other decade especially especially past the 90s you just wouldn't have a score that's quite that aggressive but well maybe like requiem for a dream has a score that's that aggressive but that's a unique case but i mean the way it hits you and it sets the the mood for every sequence and brings the horror out in almost Every time it's it's come bumping into the movie, it's very impressive. It really is. How do you feel about Richard Donner as a director? I love Richard Donner. Uh, Richard Donner. Yeah, he's a talented director. Yeah, R- Richard Donner is a, a little underrated, uh, in my opinion. He is a bit of a workman-like uh, director. Uh, he never really had big artistic ambitions as a filmmaker. He was just like, what's the next movie? I'm going to do it and make it well. And because of that, he's had a hugely eclectic career. He's the first guy to ever give us a real comic book movie. Yeah. Yeah, he gave us uh, Superman with uh, Christopher Reeve. He did that film and a bit of the second movie. One day we'll we'll cover that when we talk about Superman. But uh, he was fired midway through the production of Superman 2. But that did not stop Richard Donner's career. I mean, basically, you you take a look at it and you have uh, classic after classic. There's some misses here and there, but when you're talking about a director who has Superman, The Omen... Uh, the Lethal Weapon movies. I mean, th- there's a lot of great, fantastic cinema just from one director. I-, I-, I truly believe he is absolutely underrated and just not appreciated enough in cinema as a whole because he never gave a shit about trying to make like a big artistic Oscar kind of film. Never was his interest at all. Entertain people. How familiar are you with uh, Gregory Peck's catalog of work? Not at all. I, you yeah. know, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's a blind spot. Like I know of obviously some of, of, of Peck's work, you know, like, uh, um, To Kill a Mockingbird and, and things like that. But yeah. I, honestly, besides his classic films, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a noob. I just haven't really looked into a ton of his catalog, but watching this movie gave me a great appreciation for him because the man's name is just synonymous with gravitas. 
Yeah, I think he's a a real special treat for this movie. Um, in fact, he was about to give up acting altogether before he ran across this movie. Yeah, because th- this came at a very tragic time in Gregory Peck's yeah. life, did it not? Yeah, his he, son died yeah, he a had, year before. He had just lost his son and, and, and really thought about leaving it behind, but he... He he still wanted to do the film and, and and powered through it, and you know it makes for a great performance. It it really does. He's just uh, uh, amazing. It, it reminded me like he has this presence on screen, and we talked about it a little bit he with does. Steve McQueen. Like, not everybody's the same when yeah. they get on camera. There's some guys when they do, they just have that presence, and he does. Absolute leading man all the way. That deep voice. I thought of like Andre Brower with that kind of deep voice. I, I, I honestly really loved his work in the movie. I, I really did. It's a great performance. And I, I'm a little bit curious to now go back and check out a few more Gregory Peck films. That really enough, it's been in my blind spot. Trust me, guys, I've seen a lot of movies, but I can't see them all. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always tell me. And people are like, well, you haven't seen that? And it's like, well, I mean, I can't get to everything. Well, uh, guess who uh, they were trying to get instead of Gregory Peck initially? Ooh, boy, I'm trying to think of, like, who were big stars in the 70s. One uh, of the biggest. One of the biggest stars in the 70s? Was Burt Reynolds attached to this? No, no. Oh, my God. I, you know, actually, two of the biggest. Actually, I would have loved to have seen that movie, too. Charlton Heston. Ooh, Charlton Heston. Roy Scheider. My boy is not the spawn of Satan. <laughs> um, <laughs> it would have been a different movie. Uh, Roy Scheider would have... Actually, that would have been a very interesting choice as well. Another hugely underrated actor, by the way. Dick I, Van Dyke is another one. I could not have seen that. He, uh, Dick Van Dyke really wanted to, uh, to be in this movie. He really? really wanted this lead role. I, I can imagine. Gregory Peck took it. Because like, th- there's a lot to this. There really is. I mean, it, it's a well-written part for, for a horror movie. Not even for a horror movie. I think this is more of a thriller is probably how they portrayed back in the day. And then the finally, uh, William Holden. William Holden. I'm a little bit unfamiliar, but I do know the name. There's some part of me that would want to go... Doctor Strange style to an alternate universe, so I could see the Dick Van Dyke version of this movie. <laughs> All I think of it is, is during Christmas. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to think of anything else but that. Yeah, that, that's what I want to do now. That'd be, that'd be my only request in alternate dimension. Let me see your different casted versions of movies. I, I could definitely get a big kick out of that. So the scene with the dog and the woman who hangs herself. How do you feel about that scene? Because you saw it for the first time, even though you saw the remake. You yeah, saw it yeah. For the first so time. I, I knew it was coming, and and you know, from years of watching cable retrospectives on horror movies, the greatest kills of all times, the scariest moment. I remember Bravo running that special. Bravo, if Bravo's still around, which I have no idea, we haven't had cable in years. They're probably still re-airing like the scariest moments in horror movies ever on a loop every October. Coming up soon, guys. It's almost spooky season. I know. We're getting ready. So I, I'd seen the sequence before. Well, you know, I'd seen the death and there are two things about it that, that I, I really enjoy. I love the sequence with her staring at the dog, like the devil getting into her mind, poisoning it, um, you know, on the command of Damien. I I, I love that. And the way Jerry Goldsmith's score really amplifies that sequence and then kind of fades away as she's up there and go, it's all for you, Damien. And the way it's also shot as well. You just see the noose around the neck. So if you're an audience member in 1976, you're not 100% familiar about what's going to go on in the next frame, right? You just don't know that she's going to jump off the building. Right. The only reason I mention this is um, in the later version, she's clearly holding like the noose up. So you can see what it is. And this movie doesn't do it. Now, once again, I knew it was coming, but I love the way it was shot with all the reaction shots and everything like that around the entire party, the children horrified, the clown terrified, covering the kid's eyes. I I loved really everything about that and her coming down and hitting right into the window. It's a creepy scene. It it really is. It really is. You know, suicide freaks people out. Yeah. It really does. And And it's so shocking because it's against a kid's birthday party. Exactly. You know, with that setting, everything like that, it's, it's very disturbing. It is. And I, I mean, I really loved it. I, I did learn a, a fun fact uh, from those old Bravo specials. They had a, a doctor on there and he basically said, uh, the scene's impossible because if you drop somebody from that height, their head would pop clean off. 
Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, that's that's why if you look at a guillotine and stuff like that, they only drop like maybe like four or five feet. If you were to throw yourself like 20 feet off a building, your head would come right Dang. off. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a fun macabre fact that you can get from Gritty Reboot, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene in the movie where they're going to a church mm-hmm. and uh, Damien starts freaking out as they get closer and closer. And then eventually they stop before the church and Damien starts attacking his mother. Yeah. I want to I want you to know that that's how Harvey Stevens, Damien got the job. Oh. Richard Donner had the kids audition and how he did it was he asked the kids each kid to attack him. Well, you know, that makes a lot of sense because that's the most aggressive maneuver Damien is going to pull off. That's his big scene if you really think about it. Besides sort of smiling at the camera and looking a bit mischievous. that That's exactly how, because he, he just went after Richard Donner. Yeah, and it makes sense. He's almost like a rabid animal. I was almost going to say Wolverine for an old Chris Benoit reference, but he's like a, like a rabid yeah. dog coming at her. He just really flies at his mother and just starts slapping and scratching and doing all these things, you know, pulling her hair, mm-hmm. tearing her, her jewelry and her dress a little bit. Um, it, it's a really tough sequence to, to watch as a parent. You know, yeah. it, it's your nightmare to have your kid sort of freak out like that. I don't know like what that. I would do if Maya did that to us. Part of the scene that I love, yes, it's great that Damien attacks and how violent it is, but when they open the door at the wedding, the first, like, person from the wedding looks in, and he's like, hey, how's everybody? And he's horrified by the sight that he sees. And they show a great shot of Gregory Peck looking over to them and seeing all of their horrified reactions. Yeah. And, like, immediately he looks at the driver, drive on, drive on. And shuts the door and they go. It's not Damien's attack. It's that judgment from other people that really frightened him. That really made him run. And I, I love that little element that's in there. It's, it's really fantastic. Yeah. And it leads to one of the other elements that I think I wanted to talk about in this movie. Which is, you, you know, you and I have a child. Obviously, we just talked yeah. about it. But I think if we had a child and you had a sneaking suspicion that there was something wrong with our child you would be a lot more vocal about it. Absolutely. And I think if there was like a story that we would tell about it, you would clearly be the main focus as the mother. Yeah. Someone who takes care of the child more. And like the mother character in this film is simply not that important at the end of the day. No, she's not. And she minimizes the situation. Yeah, she does. She does. She does minimize it a little bit. And like I said, she's just simply not that important in the grand scheme of things. She's just someone to help us. Well, she's a bit of a body count, but she just gives us a little bit more background info on Damien. And it's a real shame. Yeah. And it's a real shame. And, and she's a fantastic actress. Her name escapes me, but she's been in a lot of things. She was in Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Yeah, she's in Hot Fuzz. <laughs> Hag? Fascist. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's her. If that's not her, I'm super sorry. <laughs> uh, one of the other scenes that I thought was uh, really great was the baboon scene. Yeah, yeah, that that's a really well done sequence because those, first of all, we don't have a lot of zoos like that, which is like a safari drive yeah, or something like that. Very rare. Yeah, we we you know we have one in Dallas. We have one. I know we have one in Texas. Yeah, we, been... yeah, we we have yeah the Dallas Zoo is kind of like that. You drive through it. Now I don't think you can drive through the monkeys because that sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. Right. I just just driving over them, some drunk asshole. But. I love the way that whole sequence is done with the animals coming in close, getting right into the car, being very aggressive. And the performances are fantastic. They look absolutely terrified. Yeah, actually, uh, to make the baboons attack the car, the zoo officials basically put, well, they first started, they tried putting one of the um, the babies in the back of the car. Mm-hmm. And the baboons really just didn't react. Okay. So they had another idea. <laughs> Let's get the alpha baboon and put him in the back of the car. And the baboons went crazy. Oh, wow. And started attacking the car. And, you know, uh, Lee Remnick's uh, reaction is genuine. I'll tell you one thing. It certainly looks genuine. Yeah. I mean, she looks absolutely she's, fucking terrified. She's scared. It's yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a scared shitless kind of look. That's exactly what it is. It makes the sequence so memorable. It really does. That look on her face, her struggling to get out of there, it really is a, a thing of terrifying beauty. And it's what she would... <laughs> now, granted, it, it is part of the big cliche that um, animals can somehow sense evil faster than we can and know that he's the demon child. 
But as silly as the idea is, it really works because of how the actors sell the scene. So <laughs> the zoo's idea of putting them in a little bit of danger really paid off. Yeah. Looks fantastic. As much as I hate the idea of real actors being in danger for art, you know, sometimes it's how you get your best performances. And that's one of those moments in this movie. Yeah. It really is. It's really Unorthodox impressive. Yeah. I yeah. I love it. I think the events uh, surrounding Damien unfold nicely. What do you think? You know, the more I think about the way it's laid out, it, it's sort of interesting. Because the mother takes her tumble, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good scene. I, I really like it, um, where she falls down and asks Damien for help and then, you know, hits hard on the ground. You see her hit hard. Too. Yeah, you do. You, you see, see her, her hit, hit hard. Head yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah, you, you really do. And and even even then, I think there was a more brutal version of that fall plan. She just didn't want to do it. With Yeah, she was terrified. Yeah, she yeah she apparently she'd been through enough on the set. Well, I'm going to talk about it, but there's a lot of craziness that went on to on the set. Well, the, the thing about it is, like, once this moment occurs, we sort of shift gears, and it's basically like Gregory Peck in, like, a whodunit, or, or like, you know, where's where did the kid really come from, basically. Yeah. And it seems a little bit weird to... You know, imagine the idea of him having a legitimate investigation to see if his son really is the spawn of Satan. When in reality, that seems like a natural to us. I kind of mentioned this before when, you know, we watched like the early Friday the 13th movies because they're a whodunit. And we know who did it. (laughs) It seems rather ridiculous. And even the first one's his mother. But still, the second movie still gives a whodunit sort of vibe. And we know it's Jason. You know, it's it's ridiculous, but it is what it is because of, you know, when the movie came, nobody knew those sorts of things. So him having to run off and, and unravel the mystery of where Damien came from, I thought was rather engaging. But Damien is a bad guy, if you really think about it. It isn't really necessarily a bad guy. He's sort of off screen for 35 straight minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's off screen while Gregory Peck and the photographer... God, I'm really upset. I can't remember that actor's name at this moment in time. Yeah, because we've seen him before. Yeah, I was talking about him during Nightmare on Elm Street because he was supposed to play Freddy Krueger. Um, but he had to end up backing out for scheduling reasons. Matter of fact, not to, when I was uh, looking up research for this movie, I saw the test footage or the test pictures of him in the Freddy makeup. It just nice. seems like and yeah, another weird alternate dimension. That's crazy. Yeah, them going through that whole sequence of basically finding out who Damien is, I think is rather engaging. You know, as it goes further and further and deeper and deeper into it. And I think it has a nice place where it ends. When do you think uh, the mother first gets that inkling that her son is evil? Well, if we go by the narrative of the film, when she falls, (laughs) maybe a little bit before then, she senses something is up. Yeah, because I think you have the sequence there where he's playing pool. He's not really playing pool. He's just smashing the balls, the pool balls together. Uh, making noise. And that's just what five-year-old, six-year-old kids do. You know, you just make like to make noise. And that's the first time the mother is really just like, oh, God, Turn I can't handle it. Him. Yeah, like, I just can't stand it. And that that's the that's the one time I think, like, she's she's really feeling whatever it is that Damien possesses, that, that, that evil presence within him. I think that's the first time she's really affected by it. So just before that, I think, from from the other sequences, when she really gets that inkling, like, oh, this is... There's something truly wrong with my child. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's really not till, and this is a real criticism of the film, especially with her characterization, is that we don't really know how deep her mistrust of Damien goes until he talks to the therapist, Gregory Peck does, Mm -hmm. and basically discovers that, well, the the therapist spills his guts, basically, to him, lets him know everything that's wrong with his wife, that she doesn't think Damien's her real child. She thinks he has an evil presence in him. And that's sort of the moment, like, there's a turn where we realize that she kind of knows something. Because I don't believe, as an audience member, we've really been tipped off to that from her in our performance or from what we've seen on screen. Right. And I, I think that's a misstep for this movie. I agree. I agree with you completely. One of the aspects I like about this movie is the photographer. Yeah. I think the photographer is a nice plot device. He moves the story along. He's kind of a companion along with us as an audience. I think he's a good aspect to this movie. How do you feel about him? You know, I have a, a background in production and I've done photography for years. So if any time there's a photographer in a movie, I usually identify with that character yeah. uh, straight out of the gate. That is uh, David Warner, by the way. David Warner. David Warner is his name. A big time genre actor. He was in Titanic as well, otherwise known as the greatest movie ever made. The thing I like about his character is he's just this dude just drawn into this event from doing his job. Because yeah. that's all he's doing. He's just taking pictures. Everything that this ambassador does, 
is covered by the media. And I have no idea why. He's just the United States ambassador to Britain. And I'm, listen, I'm not yeah, saying... you kept going, slow news day. Yeah, I have no idea. Listen, I understand, like... <laughs> listen, if the U.S. ambassador to Britain has stabbed his son to death in a church on the altar seven times in the shape of a cross, that's news. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. His wife falling? I mean, maybe that's a blurb in the paper, right? Yeah. I just, I like, the, like everything that happens around this guy, the media is really obsessed with. The remake addresses a little bit more, but still kind of has the same problem. But this movie, it just seems so strange. Maybe there's something I don't understand about 1976 BBC news coverage. Like, maybe there was only, like, you know, cat falls out of tree. So, all of a sudden, the U.S. ambassador, uh, a new one, is a big story. But, like, everything that happens, that there is press around it. But that is how we get our photographer character into the movie. What do you think the photographer's motive is in this movie? Stay alive. Yeah. Stay alive. Yeah. I, I, well, I think he's, he's looking to make money. I was going to say, don't you think that he really uh, just wants great pics? Yeah, I mean, he's just doing his job. You know, he, he gets the pictures he wants. I think, you know, he, I, I love the sequence with him and the priest. He's like, hey, father. He turns around, snaps that picture. You know, because I've done that before, too, calling somebody's name and snapping a picture so I can get that shot of them. And that is what is the catalyst that puts him right into the movie because he notices the photo anomaly. And I do want to mention that as a photographer, I can let you know that there can be anomalies on film. It happens. It, 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 you know, it's there. It's not that big a deal. But to get multiple anomalies is odd, especially yeah. at different times. So that, like, sometimes the things that set people off in movies, you're like, well, that really wouldn't cause that much of a stir. That would. Like, as a photographer, if I had two rolls of film that gave me a similar issue like that, I'd be freaked out. Yeah. I'd be like, that's not normal. That's not normal at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any of us would. When you're trying to convince somebody of the supernatural in a the movie, these are always tricky scenes. And Warner and Peck really play off each other nicely for two reasons. One, Peck is beginning to suspect something. Yeah. So this guy telling him what he wants to hear at that moment works out brilliantly. So he's willing to listen. And I, I think all the evidence that he uh, presents is well done, and he shows it off incredibly well with you know all of the predictions in each photo about how everyone's going to die. And the scene ends beautifully with him showing off that priest's house, his madness, his insanity all over the walls, the Bible everywhere. Yeah, it's like the pages of the Bible all over the walls. The only stuff. thing to protect him from the evil that's out there. And all the crosses. Yeah, that Doctor and... Who went real bad. So, and then he shows off, you know, the picture he got of himself in the mirror with the clean cut right across his neck. Mm -hmm. And so he's deep in it at that point. Sometimes when you're dealing... You know, with a curse, and I'm talking about like it's a real thing, but sometimes when you're dealing with a curse or something like that in a movie, you know, you're not looking for it, you just stumble onto it, but it doesn't mean you're not going to fight to try to avoid the damn thing. Absolutely. Because there's even that scene at the end where, or near the end of the film where Peck's like, I can't do it. I can't stab a child. It's insane. Well, if you don't do it, I will. And that's the moment the devil kills him. And that's what I love. He goes to pick that up and the devil chops his head off in what is clearly a dummy, but Honestly, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I think it looks pretty cool. That was going to be my last question for you. What did you think about the kills in this movie? Well, to be honest, I, I mean, they're a little cheesy. I think um, that one is the one we just talked about with uh, David Warner's photographer character getting his head decapitated. I think it's pretty cool. They shot that with a, quite a few slow motion cameras. So the scene, so that head chop lasts like a, a solid five seconds. Chop, different angle, chop, mm -hmm. different angle, chop. I, I, I enjoy it. It's like Battleship Potemkin. Yeah, that's right. I made a Potemkin reference. That's for all you old Whoa. head. Yeah, that, that's that's for all you Criterion boys out there. I think the the priest's death is a, is a little cheesy because my issue is he just sort of stands there and looks at it, you know, as the the pole is coming down to impale him. And even yes. when it happened, I was like, move. I know you see it coming. <laughs> Jump just out. Move. Yeah, because he just looks at it like, ah. <laughs> and screams like a crazy man. Because he waits to die. Yeah, and, and I mean, I understand that he was unhinged at that moment, but he was fighting for his life, so you know, it's kind of whatever. I can understand the pure shock and the terror of it. He knew something was going to happen, so why wouldn't he just move out of the way when he saw it coming? Now, we just talked about it earlier. The sequence that with the mother falling down and getting injured, but her death in this movie, I think, is particularly brutal. And it's I, shocking. Yeah, I really like it. That swan dive out of the window into the back of the ambulance, I think, is a great scene. You know, when they push in on her 
you know, lifeless body bleeding in the back of that car. It's so cool. In the back of the ambulance. I, I really like the way that's done. And I, I think that's the, the roughest death in the movie because she knows there's something wrong with Damien. And finally, someone has given her that assurance. I believe you. Something is wrong with him. And immediately upon knowing that, she's taken out. Yep. And it, it that's rough. I mean, it, it is. You feel the heartbreak in that she was almost free of this terror, but no. You know, and I mean, how much nicer would the finale have been with Gregory Peck having someone by his side that he loves and trusts instead of on his own? Yeah. And that, that you know, that, you know, I mean, he... He does the job he has to do, but I mean, to me, that that's a, a heartbreaking death. And and of course, then you know, you talk about how he gets it. He knows what he has to do. He goes and he grabs his son. He has the knives. He's uh, he's incapacitated the dog and taken out um, the caretaker. And he he's about to have good triumph over evil in an act that will send him to prison for the rest of his life. And he is shot right before the moment of victory. Take it out. And it's heartbreaking as well. Yeah. You know, like you, you feel that. Like he doesn't want to do it, but he knows it has to be done. All I've seen, it's true. I have to do it. And he raises up and, you know, and that's, he knows he's going to die. And he doesn't try to reason. He just tries to stab as fast as he can to finish Damien off. But it, it, it doesn't work. He's yeah. killed right then and there. And, I, you know, I, I like all these death sequences because death sequences don't necessarily have to be gory or violent. They can just be devastating. And that can hit just as hard. Absolutely. And I think that's one of those things in this movie that I really like is those sequences are absolutely devastating. Yeah, it's, it's why I love the movie. It's just a well-done movie. Yeah. You, it strikes you. Mm-hmm. It's more hopeless as things go along. The situation becomes more and more and more dire. And I just, I, I love the way everything really ends up playing out. Even if I do have some qualms with the film, but a lot of those are squashed by just riding along with that Goldsmith soundtrack. So as I was mentioning earlier, this movie, um, Richard Donner thought was cursed. And it's cursed for, I guess, several reasons. Um, Gregory Peck and screenwriter David Seltzer took separate planes but both were struck by lightning. Totally wow. different ends of the of the country, everything. And they both got struck by my, lightning. My skeptic senses are tingling. I um I will say this. Coincidences really seem strange when you're making a horror movie. Yeah, if, that's one. I'm just saying if these guys were making a romantic comedy and they had planes struck by lightning, weird kawinky dink. They're making a horror film, the production's cursed. The hotel that Richard Donner stayed in was bombed by the IRA. Well, so you tell me the IRA is fueled by the devil now? <laughs> Not buying it. Peck almost died in a plane crash. He was going to charter a plane, but didn't at the at last minute. The plane crashed and killed all six people on board. Well, that's good luck. That's not cursed. That's damn good luck is what that is. He should, get, he should have drawn a 666 on the ground and worship Satan at that moment and say, thank you for saving my life to make this story. Day one of shooting, several members of the crew survived a head-on crash. Listen, crew members work long hours. Crashes happen. Pfft, not buying it. No demon. All right, and finally, uh, special effects artist John Richardson was injured and girlfriend beheaded in an accident on the set of Bridge Too Far. Get me some holy water. I will cover every copy of The Omen now that I know that fact. <laughs> yeah. Because um, so that, that's the guy who did the decapitation effect, right? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's okay. That That's a little weird. That's a little weird. There were a lot of other little things that yeah. happened on the set, yeah. um, which is one of the reasons why uh, Lee Remenick didn't want to uh, didn't want to do that scene where she gets pushed off the banister. Yeah, yeah. Well, because another thing for a cursed production could just simply be a bad crew, you know, not securing things. Not doing the extra work it takes to make sure but everybody's safe. These are all safe. outside forces. These, in. these are, these are. So, I can understand her trepidation, not wanting to do that, though. After hearing all that. All right. Well, that's uh, that's the Omen, nineteen seventy six, and then we move on to the Omen, two thousand six. What could you possibly say that hasn't already been done in the seventy six version? 
It's all for you! What's wrong, sweetie? It's just a church, that's all. She's sick. He's cold as ice. What's the matter? Those other kids didn't want to play with you? Hello, Damien. I'm here to protect you. There's something about Damien. I was at the hospital the night your son was born. So let, let's start off with a couple of the changes, because there's only really a few to talk about. And one of the ones I want to bring up is there is an entirely new opening scene. And this is basically like Alex Jones Conspiracy Central, right? Yeah. You have... Uh, these guys of the Vatican, priests, I would assume, not just homeboys hanging out. You have all these guys that are cardinals and priests, and they're looking at, like, pictures of, like, 9-11 and the stars moving and Saddam Hussein and evil people from around that time period. And they're like, this is the sign. The apocalypse has come. Mm -hmm. And so this really kicks us into the film with an absolutely pointless sequence to let us know that there might be an apocalypse coming. It was unnecessary in the original film, and it's pretty much unnecessary here. Do you have anything to say about that? No. I mean, it, there's not much to say. Yeah, there's for, for, really not much I can say about this movie. Now, I think on the second point that there's difference, I think you might have a little something to say, and that is Julia Stiles is the top-billed character, uh, top-billed actress in this film, and her part is beefed up. Yeah. Not a lot, but it is beefed up. It's definitely more than what the original 1976 version. Yeah, there's a little bit more for her to do in yeah, this movie, and I think that good. that's a very helpful thing. Julia Stiles is a capable actress, uh, very talented, and I think giving her more to do here helps. And I think it, from a modern perspective, it certainly seems to make a lot more sense that the mother would be more involved if something was wrong with her child, and she notices it more. You know, because I think the opposite way that it's done in the 2006 version would be more true. An overworked father sort of denying what's occurring. Yeah. You know, saying like, it's not that big a deal. He'll see a therapist. Da, da, da. Well, you know, it's, it'll go to the doctor. Who cares? You know, it's fine. He's a kid. Now he's minimalizing. Yeah. And it, it, it's the opposite way. And to me, that makes a lot more sense than someone who's going to spend all of her time uh, with him. So and that that's one change um, that I do like in this movie, that she's a bit more of a character, because obviously that's the whole reason I want to watch a movie, because I want to get to know a character and go on an experience and a journey with them, and I would prefer her version to the 1976 uh, version of the film, a version of the character. Yeah. Now, the other, sequ the other change that I, I want to mention is the jump scare dream sequences. Those are entirely added in this film. The original film... Only really has one jump scare at the end when Gregory Peck is is jumped by the nanny, um, and it's a good jump scare. It really is. It's well but done. It happens in the original. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's in both films. Yeah. It's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with a jump scare. Let me say that right now. People slander the jump scare, and that's bullshit. Well, I think they've been overdone. No, the problem is shitty hack filmmakers overusing it. Yeah. Like we're just about to talk about with these dream sequences. What do we have? I think we have three of them, right? And I think in the first one, you have general creepy imagery of Julia Stiles in the bathtub. And then she does the old mirror gag. And you know the mirror gag, guys. That's where you, <laughs> the mirror is open and then you shut it. And when you shut the mirror, <gasps> there's something there. <laughs> I want you to know that was the most cliched shit already in 2006. I know it's 2022 now, yeah. but that was old hat in 2006 and unacceptable at that time. But that movie tries to get away with it. There's another dream sequence later where the scare is Damien holding up a noose and shaking his head really fast while loud noises play, creepy music. Um, and then I think you have uh, another sequence uh, later on um, that also has a another pretty lame jump scare. Um, okay, Liam Schreiber has that one. And the priest who is the one who convinced him to switch out his children is looking at him like a party clown trying to make a spooky face. He's like, ooh, look at me. I kidnapped your child. And it's it's silly. It really is. Those, those are the things that are added, and they're awful. They're absolutely awful. They don't add a scare. They don't add tension. They don't add to the atmosphere of the movie. They just waste everyone's time. Yeah. There's one small other change. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry I, if I missed something. I didn't like... Um, we were talking in the last movie about the the woman who hangs herself, the governess who hangs herself. Yeah. She slams into a window. 
and it brings more power to the scene. In this movie, she hangs herself the same way. Yeah. But she just, she, she doesn't slam into a, a window or anything. Hits the wall. Yeah, she just hits the she wall. She just hits the wall. She just snapped her head clean off. Yeah. They should have gone full reality. Right? Yeah, just blood spraying everywhere all over the kids. Just go all out with it. <laughs> Make it like a Rob Zombie flick, just spraying blood Why everywhere. not? In a canted angle. It would have been different. Well, yeah. And I mean, I guess that's sort of the thing here. Is this movie, I mean, it sticks close to home. I mean, you're talking about like, it's, it's like, if you're talking like in baseball terms, like trying to get a lead off to go to a next base, it's like one step off. Yeah. That, I mean, it's just not willing to take that many chances. And I can understand it since you're using the same screenplay and you have a strong cast, in my opinion. Granted, no one can truly replace Gregory Peck, but Liev Schreiber's a good choice, to yeah. be perfectly honest. I mean, he really is a good choice. This movie isn't isn't lacking in its talent. Well, the one place the movie is lacking in talent is in the directing chair. And that's John. You ain't lying. Yeah, and that's John Moore. John Moore. And listen, I hate to be mean to people on this show because, listen, guys, I know, you know, we talk about bad movies and, and you guys are horror fans and movie fans, so you've seen bad movies before. But listen, nobody sets out to make a bad movie. No one ever says, I'm going to make dog shit. And then they make Marmaduke or something like that. Like, nobody ever wants to do that. But John Moore's resume speaks for itself. It opens up with um, uh, Flight of the Phoenix, which is a movie we'll cover one day because that's a, a reboot of a great movie. His version is pretty lame, starring, I think, Tyrese and uh, Dennis Quaid. Tyrese isn't in that. I don't care. <laughs> um, he does the adaptation of Max Payne which is probably one of my least favorite video game adaptations. Yeah, it's terrible. It's dog shit. And guys, there are so many bad video game adaptations. I want you to know for that to be my least favorite, that's taken some real work. I, I would watch Mortal Kombat Annihilation twice before I'd watch Max Payne again. I just pretend John Wick is Max Payne. That's how I get through it. That's how I get through it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, I, I mean, I just don't care for it. He did Behind Enemy Lines with Owen Wilson and Gene Hackman, which I think is fine. It's okay. I think the last movie on his catalog, A Good Day to Die Hard. That's Die Hard 5, the one nobody likes. Yeah. The one with him and Jai Courtney where John McClane is practically Superman in the movie. Um, Even at his age. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that that's the difference here. This director isn't able to bring anything new that Richard Donner didn't do. Even with computer-generated effects. Yeah, the movie's almost shot for shot. It's, it's not quite shot for shot. I mean, the, Yeah, I mean, there are some times. I mean... We got to see a nice YouTube video where a guy put like both movies together and showed off uh, some of it. And like I said, it's not quite shot for shot, but it's close. <laughs> Why do you think the director chose to do it like that? Like almost shot for shot. He didn't really add any He was scared. nuance. Okay. He was scared. He was he was scared to add and change something like that and to ruin probably a movie that he loves. So he didn't really want to mess with it and you know, one of the more kinder reviews at the time I remember was from uh, Richard Roper. Um, who reviewed movies with Ebert. And I think he talked about this movie as like a, a cover song, you know, like a, a rock band covering another classic rock mm -hmm. song. And that's a good way to look at this movie, to be perfectly honest. It, you know, it really is like that. But the difference is, I just don't care for this cover, I guess, is, is what it is at the end of the day. A movie that I liked, I liked a lot less once I had seen the original version. Um, because I think the, the two weakest things that hampered this are, like we talked about, the directing. Yeah. And it's completely generic score. There is yeah. nothing unique about the score at all. So generic. Yeah. And, and you know what? I mean, it's a reboot. Nobody would have criticized had they just simply reused Jerry Goldsmith's score. Maybe played it down just a little bit. Yeah. But you easily could have used that iconic score in this movie and nobody would have cared. I mean, I think there's, I mean, I think if you did a Halloween reboot or like when, um, and I know this reboot's Halloween guys, but I think if, if Rob Zombie would have done it without John Carpenter's music, I think people would have pitched a fit. I think people wouldn't have gone to go see it. Yeah. So that decision seems a little bit strange to me. But, you know, once again, that style of score was simply not done in 2006. I mean, that style of score wasn't done in 1996. So it, it's just a little much in very 70s. But once again, the score that replaces it just doesn't add anything or do anything. Like, yes, you have some better makeup effects, but. 
the priest at the very end, like his burned face looks significantly better yeah, in this it looks version really cool. than like the high school production level effect that's on his face in the 76 version. Yeah, it looks like somebody threw a bad pizza and just threw a googly eye on it. But his Voldemort, a uh, Voldemort, I'm not saying Voldemort. Vo- Voldemort. Is that how you yeah. say it? I don't like Harry Potter, guys. I don't, <laughs> yeah. For the longest time, I, saw, I thought it was like Hermoyne. And I found it was Hermione. Both of us get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't wait to be corrected on that. But his makeup does look significantly better. But I mean, that's it. Like they add the swinging gate head, ch- head slash mm-hmm. instead of what we had for the original, which is the, the glass, the pane of glass coming down. It's a potato potato sort of thing, you know, about which is, you know, because I said, I heard someone say one's a little bit more Final Destination y, and I'm like, they're both very Final Destination like. Yeah. Like it's the same idea that like a couple of random events would end up in someone's death. I just prefer the paint of glass sequence and death to what is in the 2006 version with that swinging gate, even if I do like the, the blood and the gore. Um, and weirdly enough, most, both movies have the same exact cut right after where they cut to almost like the, one of the few comedic moments in the movie where you have uh, the father, like, I, I'll, ne- I'll never kill my son. I just don't believe this. And then he sees the man decapitated, and you cut right to him holding those sacrificial blades in his hands. Mm-hmm. Immediately, like, he's committed at this point. Yeah. He's seen enough to where, no, the devil's real. He's coming, and i got to <laughs> take him out. I love that. Did I really need a POV shot from the pole coming down to impale the priests? No. You didn't want that? <laughs> no, but I did need Michael Bay's POV shot of the missile coming into Pearl Harbor. That's what, that's what I thought of when I was watching it. Uh, it's the first thing that really came to my mind. I mean, that sequence is mostly the same. I just don't think it's as good without the haunting score. They add a little bit more gore with the actual window coming down and slicing him up a bit. Uh, but one of the things I found sort of ridiculous was that this really gory image of a man impaled with all these blades cutting him up is on the front page of the paper. Mm-hmm. And in the 76 version, it's also in the paper, but it's not on the front page. Yeah. So it stretches uh, credibility a little bit, but in the remake, it stretches it quite a bit. Because <laughs> I remember seeing that like, whoa, since when the fuck do you find a, a graphic uh, murder scene on the front page of the paper? I no said, maybe. kidding. Yeah, I'm, I was, listen. I would be shocked. Listen, maybe people are going to criticize me, and there's so much about British media I don't know. For all I know, it could be like a goddamn Tom Savini shop out there on the front page of any British newspaper. It could be like K&B's warehouse every day with grisly murders. But to me, that just seemed really strange and I didn't really buy it. So yeah. don't ever watch it after watching the original because it's so, so much of a tougher watch because you feel like you're just doing the same thing over again. Like you got to watch like this amazing cinematic version and then you go watch the college stage production of it is how The Omen 2006 feels. I struggled to find things to talk about on this movie um, when we were watching it. I, I, as you know, I take notes and it just, yeah. it was, it was just difficult. Um, well, it, it's a forgotten film to, to an extent. The movie did do well at the box office, by the way. I, I do believe that it was about a $24 million uh, production and it made a little bit over 55 here in the States and, and, and probably some more overseas. So, I mean, you're doubling your budget, which is what you want to do. But obviously, we never got a sequel to this movie like we got with the original. Yeah, because the original grossed over $60 million. Yeah. And, and that's yeah, in, in today's money, that's $400 billion. Yeah, that's just in the U.S. Um, yeah, I think, I think I read that the movie had the greatest opening Fox had ever had with like $3.5 million, to let you know. Because movies, yeah, movies didn't get released worldwide back then, or, or, or nationwide. They just got released in a few areas. But people were jacked. They were excited. They were hyped for The Omen back in 76. Even the the facts on this movie weren't a whole lot um, because they're so similar. Yeah, they, they really are. In fact, Dan McDermott, who wrote the screenplay play this for this movie, yeah. he was denied a credit by the Writers Guild of America. Yeah, because you because they deemed it too close to the original. Yeah, you, you have to add thirty percent new stuff, and there is not thirty percent new stuff. Or that's sort of the the, the rule in the WGA. Um, it, it's kind of unfortunate. I've had situations myself to where people have told me this isn't enough changes for you to get a credit. Like, okay, well, you know, they, they have a determining body that figures that out. But this movie can't even come close to no. making that case. It really can't. Because all he would have done is is add those dream sequences I don't like, the bit at the beginning that doesn't really add anything to the movie, and just a few, you know, changes of time and things like that. 
like Damien not uh, smashing those pool balls together, but instead playing a video game that weirdly enough had Atari sound effects in 2006. Right? Yeah, it sounded like he was playing Asteroid or something like that. It wasn't even like Pac-Man level. It was very much like a Pong style, like like bleeps and bloops. <laughs> you know, in 2006, you know, you got God of War coming out. It didn't make any sense at all. So Harvey Stevens, who was Damien in the 1976 movie, he played a tabloid reporter in this movie. It's nice they got him in there. I yeah. always like when there's a little reference to the original film like that in there. Um, they couldn't get the corpse of Gregory Peck in there, though. And then finally, um, I, I was kind of shocked about this, but uh, Catherine Thorne was originally casted by Rachel Wise. Oh, really? Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, I, 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 I can too. see that. Um, it may seem weird today, but Julia Stiles was almost a prestige actress at one point, and this was like one of those movies that like, you know, can she open a picture? And I mean, the movie made money, so I, I don't know you know, why her career didn't take off uh, um, anymore, sadly. But I, I think she's fine here. She's not the problem. She declined the role because she was pregnant. So That makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough to do a physical role, you know, when you're pregnant. Other actresses considered were Laura Linney, which I could not picture at all. That could work. That could, she's Hope a little Davis. bit older. Oh, I love Hope Davis. And Alicia Witt. Alicia Witt. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. That's, uh, you know that is, right? No, I don't. Oh, I'm trying to think of um, Urban Legend. Oh She's the God. redhead lead in I that. I haven't seen that in forever. Yeah. Um, we're not going to cover Urban Legend. There's not a reboot. Oh, my God. Is there a reboot of Urban Legend? I don't want to cover it. <laughs> I don't want to cover it. Um, <laughs> every, every now and then, like, something comes up, like, oh, no, I don't want to cover that. Like, now we got to cover Quantum Leap because that, 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 oh. that's uh, a little inside baseball, guys. Quantum Leap is debuting right now on NBC, and we're going to review that at some point for it's the show. It's going to be awful. Because we love the original, and this one doesn't look very good. But it's just it's just sort of one of those things. <laughs> uh, there's two actors that were considered for Robert Thorne. Um, one was Pierce Brosnan. I could see that. I could see that. The other is Jim Carrey. Well, you have to remember 2006 is around that time of um, Eternal Sunshine. I'm not sure when that was made, but Jim Carrey was pushing to be a much more respectable actor at that moment in time. I just couldn't picture him in this movie. I think he could have done an okay job. I, they They went with the correct choice. There's some gravitas to Liev Schreiber. Oh, he's the best. Yeah, he's one of the few guys who could kind of do the take away this part from Gregory Peck and, and not really embarrass himself and do a really nice job. I can imagine that's why a lot of like grade A actors uh, really stayed away from this part because you're following Gregory Peck. It's yeah. not something you, you can easily be done. All right. So finally, um, did you have anything else that you wanted to say about this? Everything else I want to say about the Omen 2006. Um, I guess at the end of the day, I mean, the one thing that, that I, I do want to mention is this really blows holes in our argument that we talk about of using that original script. Because if you want to do a remake or a reboot, the idea is you want to bring something a little bit more original than what was in the, the first movie. Yeah. You want to have a, an idea, some new angle that you want to take. And, and even if it's just modernizing it, you know, for a, a brand new audience of people who've never seen it. You still have to bring something else to it because even if you're 19 years old and you're asking for eight horror films to watch, I wouldn't really recommend this to you as much as I would the original because that has far more charm and you know, it's the OG source. Absolutely. Yeah. I I just, I just wouldn't have you watch this one. And listen, I don't hate this 2006 remake. I don't hate it at all. If I was going to give a numerical rating, I'd say this is a solid six and the original film was a seven. I don't, I, I'm not really down with the whole story of the omen. I, I think it's fine. I love it. It's the whole trope of, you know, evil kids that I love. Yeah, you, you, you really do. And, and listen, it's a fun one. There's no reason to really check this movie out. And that's no, it at the end of the day. There's really not. Watch the original version because you're just not getting a whole lot from this one unless you want some stock footage of 9 11 and you want to see Julia Stiles survive an impossibly long fall. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, she falls double the distance yeah. in this movie and the other one. Her head should have exploded when she hit the ground. Everyone should lose their head in this movie. <laughs> I don't know why there's not more head loss. No more decapitations. Okay, so on to our user reviews for these movies. Um, for Omen 76, user review is 4.4, 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.5 IMDb. Okay. Um, here is a one-star review, and I want it to be known. It took me... So many reviews to go through before I found a one-star review. Yeah. That was worth, worth <laughs> All right. 
I have always enjoyed horror movies, so my dad recommended me to watch this movie. Said and done. I went to rent this movie and started watching. 20 minutes passed, nothing happened. One hour passed, nothing. When the movie ended, I was so disappointed and could not understand why I even bothered to finish the movie. The kid was so darn annoying. The acting was so bad that I almost lost my faith in humanity. The plot is terrible. (laughs) How this is considered horror is beyond belief. I guess I just can't understand these old horror movies as almost all of them I have seen have sucked. This movie can be summarized like this. Family gets worried about their little boy. He has weird markings in his face, gets afraid of the church, etc. They should have gotten him professional help for being a little attention whore. I hated him so much. Complete waste of time. That guy just called a five-year-old boy an attention whore? He did. Okay. But he beeped out the the uh, O on whore. Oh, he did? Yeah. So oh, okay. I guess well, he felt a little reservation there. And you put it back in. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, you, you took an editorial to. editorial decision and, and made it say whore. Um, it, it's like we always talk about, like if you can't handle like an older style film. Yeah. Or, or you know, like, listen. That's clearly a young person. This is not a slasher movie. This is a horror movie for adults. Yeah. It's about an evil kid. It's clearly about, for, for adults, people who have children. That's who this movie is supposed to terrify. Like if you're a teenager watching a movie, this isn't aimed at you. This is aimed for people who have kids and are willing to accept a slower film that has a slow burn and builds its narrative up. Mm-hmm. If you're not willing to do that, you're in the wrong business here. Okay, for Omen 2006. We're not talking about that yet because we haven't heard from the one, the only, Roger Ebert. Let me hear it. Roger Ebert says, Once was the Catholic priests in the movies were played by Bing Crosby and Spencer Tracy and went around dispensing folksy wisdom, halftime pep talks, and pats on the back. Times have so changed. Alas, that these days movie priests are almost inevitably engaged in titanic confrontations with the forces of darkness. Jason Miller and Max von Sydow were killed in their efforts to drive the evil spirit from poor Linda Blair and the Exorcist. And now there's the priest in the Omen, wickedly substituting the spawn of Satan for the newborn son of Gregory Peck and Lee Remenick. He ain't heavy. Father, he's the devil. Good words. Yeah, yeah. So it should be known, Roger Ebert gives this movie a two and a half stars, which would be a bad review. This predates the show in this 76, obviously, but it would have been a thumbs down. That's... I... T- how? It's such a good movie. Well, now you're discovering why horror fans don't care for Roger Ebert, because he's given a lot of horror from horror movies a bad review. And, and listen, you can go check the review out on RogerEbert.com. I only read a little snippet of it. And I think he makes a good case on why he doesn't care for the movie with some of the silliness and things like that. It, it He makes his case nicely. You know, the movie wasn't absolutely loved when it came out. Only over time was it recognized as a classic. So you will find this a lot going back to... Look at great films. And listen, Robert, Roger Ebert's just a man. As much as I love him and respect his film opinion, he gave a lot of classic movies a bad review. People rag on his horror films, but he gave Die Hard two stars. And we love that movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great movies that he just missed out on or just didn't see, you know, or, you know, didn't get the appeal of. And this is one of those movies. Like I said, he didn't think it's shit or anything like that. He just, he didn't find it to be an engaging horror movie as something like The Exorcist was. Well, The Exorcist is a better movie, but. That's very true. The Omen is also a really good yeah, I, I love the movie. Yeah, I, I'm not going to argue with you about that. So, all right, so back to the Omen 2006. Okay, this got a 2.7 user review. It's got a 26 percent on Rotten Tomatoes from 84 percent on the original. That's low. And a 5.5 IMDb. So very, very low. Yeah, people hate this movie. They really do. There were a plethora of one star reviews. Would you say I have a plethora of bad reviews? A plethora. Plethora. All right. Here's the uh, the review. I cannot believe I actually sat through this whole thing. Ten minutes in, I was ready to strangle everyone. I know the original film word for word and could not believe my ears as the dialogue rolled on. Hardly a word out of place. I understand that remake means uh, it'll start the same and end the same. But come on. There was no difference except the actors and the way few characters were killed. Richard Donner's version was definite, definitive with the ominous soundtrack i hated this version and i don't think it should have been made but that's only my opinion question does this mean we'll have to endure a remake of the other two films i hope not i like the sequel uh i i think i've seen all the sequels by the way um i've seen i know i've seen damien 2 and then i've seen 
Omen 3, Final Conflict, which sounds like a, a bad uh, Saturday TV show during the 90s. I haven't seen... I haven't seen any of them. I've, I, I, uh, I, I, when it comes to horror sequels, I have a hard time watching them. I have a fascination for the pure concept of the sequel. I really do. I have this weird fascination for when someone writes a story that has a beginning, middle, and absolute end, how does the capitalist side of Hollywood try to drag a second story out of those movies? And, and sometimes, it's a natural sort of thing. Like the killer just comes back in Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th. Other times, Weekend at Bernie's 2 happens and the, the corpse is walking around again. You know, I love that idea that capitalism fuels a need for a movie. And sometimes you can get some really weird, strange, off the wall things. Yeah. I, I like that. I, I do. I, I'm always fascinated with them and, and we'll follow a series through to even something where. A young, young Sam Neill plays, from Jurassic Park, he plays Damien, growing up in the third movie, when he's the ambassador. And oddly enough, now that I've mentioned that, I don't remember anything else from this movie except a kill where a dog murders somebody. But no other memory comes flooding back about this movie. Yeah, I can't even comment. I haven't seen any of them. I, I stopped at The Omen because I loved it. Yeah, and listen, like this movie, even though it was successful, we never got any other follow-ups to it. Uh, we we uh, never really, nobody ever clamored for it. Um, and, you know, another weird fact here is even though uh, Roger Ebert gave the original film uh, two and a half stars, he gave this one three stars. Why? <laughs> I had a feeling you'd react that way. Roger Ebert says, The Omen is a faithful remake of the 1976 film, and that's a relief. It depends on characters and situations and doesn't go berserk with visuals. In an age of effects run wild, what would a contemporary remake look like? No doubt lightning would zap from Damien's little ears, and his mother would not merely topple from the balcony but spin down to the bowels of the earth. The story outline is as before. Worried astro-theologians in the Vatican City ponder the meaning of comets in the heavens and the upheavals of earth, and an American diplomat and his wife have a baby boy in a Rome hospital. They are told the child has died, and the husband is urged by a sinister doctor substitute a baby born the same day to an unwed mother who passes away. He agrees, keeps this a secret from his wife, and together they raise Damien, of whom it can be said, if he were made of snips and snails of puppy dog tails, it would be an improvement. So, yeah, Ebert generally liked this one a, a little bit more, but I think Ebert's situation was he much more appreciated 70s horror than he did mid-O's horror, which was in a very different place. So I, I think he appreciated that throwback more than he might say this is a better movie than the original. Because you always have to remember, he's reviewing a movie at that moment in time. So he's trying to tell you, if you're a mature movie fan who would read his website and his reviews, you would probably enjoy this remake more than, say, the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was also out around the same time. Okay. That's where Ebert is coming from Good in point. this review. So I, I want to defend him in, in this thing, because I think a lot of people look at the stars and be like, well, that's stupid. Why would he give that a better review when you have to read the review? And that's not really what he's saying. You're an Ebert apologist. I am an Ebert apologist. I absolutely love Roger Ebert. And <laughs> I, I, know you I, do. I don't, yeah, I won't, I'm not lying about that. There's a reason I read his reviews all the time. I feel bad that there's no one to replace a, a critic of that caliber anymore. That there's no one who is like that sought after for a good review. Yeah. You know, like there the, really isn't. You yeah. Go to YouTube now. Yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, does the, you know, you, you're looking for Channel Awesome or the Nostalgia Nerd to give you this review or something like that. Uh, Angry Gene Joe, yeah, and it, it's just it, it's not really the same as it, it was then. There is no there is no voice of American criticism like there was when Roger Ebert was alive, and it's a shame. It really is. I, like I miss that. I do, but you know, I I appreciate his review on this film. That I will say this. 2006 remake could have been a disaster. Like if you really think about making it different in 2006 in it with like, you know, bad rock music in the background and stuff like that, you know, overuse of CGI, it really could have been a disaster. So maybe we should give a little respect to the restraint to stick a little bit more to the, what the original film was, but obviously we've knocked him enough for far too much restraint and just basically carbon copying that film. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I, I can't, I can't do that. I, I think that when if you're going to be an artist and you're going to direct a movie, 
then you need to add your own little flair to it. Yeah, yeah. It's outright copying somebody else's work. Somebody worked hard to write that original movie. Mm -hmm. Somebody worked hard to direct that movie. The actors worked hard. Everybody worked hard. Mm -hmm. So to minimize that by doing something lazy as as basically recreating the original, I I just, I, I don't like it. Well, I think that's where we can differ because I, I can respect some of the effort that, that was put into this remake if I didn't ultimately enjoy it all really that much. So it is what it is. The kid acts a little bit too creepy throughout. I don't really care for the blue wash that we get throughout the film, but that's how 2006 movies were lit. So what are you going to do about it? I don't enjoy the film. Really only recommend you watch the original film unless you're just looking for an oddity or an extra way to kill an hour, or an extra way to kill uh, 90 minutes. You can generally avoid the 2006 version. Yeah. And if you think our show should be avoided and you want to tell us such, uh, you can let us know that by emailing us at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com or uh, hitting us up at grittyreboot on Instagram and TikTok. I'm found there often. Yeah, and and every once in a while we do some Twitch streams. Yeah, Uh, you can follow along with that at Gritty Reboot Gaming. Um, We are just about to finish... Days Gone, I forgot the name of the game for a second. I just had a brain fart completely pause for one moment of life. Uh, we were about to, to finish that, and uh, we're going to try to start another horror game. Um, I may play through uh, Slender of the Arrival, um, because I just rediscovered the Slender Man since it's been 10 years since Slender of the Eight Pages came out. So I'm a little curious to go back and check that out, or I might try The Evil Within. But by all means, uh, drop in, and maybe you'll see me catch, maybe catch me playing Donkey Kong with my daughter instead. But either way, uh, we like to do that as well. All right. Well, I think that's uh, all, folks. Yeah, that is. Um, I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. See you guys next time. Bye.